stress was such a big part of it that somehow my response to that was to create a new way of getting things done in less time. And less doing was really born out of that need. So originally it was all about personal productivity and then it grew into more of the business side of stuff. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Ari Maizo, who's a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and the co-founder of Less Doing, which is working smarter instead of harder. He's based in New York, where he resides with his family. Ari, how's it going? Going great. Thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and, and what you do? Sure. Uh, so I help people be more productive. Uh, basically, what I say is that I work with entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure will support uh, to set up systems and processes that empower a team to make themselves more replaceable so that they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their business to be more effective. Great. And what was, I mean, I'm looking at your, your background here too. You've done a couple of things, um, you know, your first company at 12 years old and then some other one uh, before you graduated high school and then lead pro and all this other stuff. So what, what was the impetus of kind of moving into making other people's lives more productive? Uh, well, it started with, with uh, I guess, fixing my own. I was working in construction and I was working as just really long, hard, awful days, really, and was under an enormous amount of stress. And when I was 23 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which knocked me down to basically being able to do about an hour of work a day. So uh, through a long process of self-tracking and self-experimentation, I was able to overcome that illness. But stress was such a big part of it that uh, my somehow my response to that was to create a new way of getting things done in less time. And less doing was really born out of that need. So originally it was all about personal productivity, and then it grew into more of the business side of stuff. Wonderful. And can you give us a little background on, on Crohn's disease? Yeah, sure. So Crohn's is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's very painful, uh, considered to be incurable, and it it's just it's just very debilitating. It's a it's it, like any inflammatory condition. It just sort of takes a lot out of you. Right. And you were able to to basically overcome it through a combination of different uh, different exercises, diets, things like that. Right. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, diet and exercise and supplements were a big part of it. I would say that stress management was probably the biggest part, but I was certainly doing things wrong from just a, like a straight up logistical standpoint or a practical standpoint in terms of what I was putting in my body. And a lot of it really comes down to a lot of data. I mean, I ended up doing lots and lots and lots of testing on myself and then crunching numbers and coming up with experiments that I could try to see if it would help. But the, at the end of the day, uh, control is kind of the antidote to stress and with any inflammatory disease, not just Crohn's, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, ulcerative colitis, all sorts of different ones like that. You're basically at war with your body, which is very challenging in and of itself. So maintaining some sort of sense of control there and, and owning that data and being a, 
a driver in the, the, the car that is your health rather than a passenger, I think is it ultimately what really helped me win. Great. Wonderful. And I'm sure a lot of people are going through different kind of, you know, different kind of experiences right now and not, you know, different, uh, different diseases or other, other issues that they might be facing. And I, I'm more curious around also the, the process or the framework that you use to kind of keep things, uh, when you say keep things under control, um, is there anything kind of practical that people can kind of take away, uh, from what you did? Yeah. So what, what I would say is that the overarching framework that I teach people is to optimize, automate, and outsource. Um, and that, that, that sounds like a sort of a big thing, but you, if you look at the way that a lot of people approach their productivity challenges, especially in a business, uh, outsourcing is a perfect example. So a lot of people have had a bad experience outsourcing, whether it's through a virtual assistant, through a graphic designer, it doesn't really matter. And a lot of times it's their fault. It really comes down to the fact that they didn't communicate what they wanted properly or they hired their own person or they didn't really – they took an inefficient problem and they gave it to somebody else and that doesn't fix things. So you really have to start with that optimization first. So I would tell people like look at how you're doing the things that you're doing. And while that may sound simple, I guarantee you that 95% of the people listening to this don't do that regularly because a lot of times it's easy to get into this sort of busyness cycle where we just do things the way that we've always done them because it's the way that we've always done them. Right. So if you stop and actually look at this is – this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. This is how we're spending our time, our money, how we're using space and really shine a light. That alone is a really, really big – I mean that's like 80 percent of the battle honestly because once you do that, once you identify the steps in a process, the, the how and the why of what we're doing, then you can start to automate things. And then if you get to the point where there's anything left over that a person could do, you could outsource it. But starting with actually identifying your processes, look at the things that you're doing more than once. <laughs> And start to identify those steps and, and, and break it down. You're going to notice holes. You're going to notice things that you don't need to do anymore, that you've just been doing them because you always have. Right. Okay. And I want to talk about the, the business and kind of what, uh, what, what are you offering people? And I think you have multiple different offers, right? Can you kind of talk, talk about those? Yeah, so we have two very, very distinct sides of the business. One is uh, the coaching side and the other is the consulting side. So uh, on the coaching side, we have a few different programs. So the, the the first one is the Less Doing Academy, which is our membership program. It's got over 100 hours of video content. There's a Slack group just for them. We do a lot of live webinars every month, and I do my Tech Talk Tuesday, which is like a tech update every other week. So it's just a, it's an enormous amount of content. Um, and then we have a couple of courses, one of which is called the Optimized Operator, which is really lays out the nine fundamentals of a successfully scalable business. And the goal a lot, with a lot of what I'm doing in those programs is to help make the founder and everyone in the business as replaceable as possible, which is a, a hard concept for the ego to get over. But the truth is, is that if you make yourself or try to make yourself as replaceable as possible, you remove yourself from being a bottleneck in a lot of the parts of your business. Uh, and then everything up to I have a, a mastermind coaching program where I work on a very high level with uh, some really amazing entrepreneurs. And then we have live events that we do. We actually have one coming up in L.A. in a week and then New York in September. Uh, and then on the consulting side, we do everything from building, uh, doing a done-for-you process. Like I built this hiring process that's based on Trello and Zapier and Wufoo and essentially automates the, hire, the process of hiring people. And I used it to hire 183 people in 17 time zones over the course of about 14 months. Uh, so we can build things like that for people and then all the way up to full on two day strategic intensives where we come in with the team and 
identify every little thing that a business is doing and then optimize it. Wonderful. And how do you, how are you typically charging for all this stuff? Sounds like a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the academy program is 99 bucks a month. The, the mastermind program that I run is 2000 a month. And then our, our, our consulting starts at uh, $5,000 for a two hour consult with my team and up to $40,000 for a two day onsite. Wonderful. Okay. And what kind of numbers can you share around the business in terms of, let's say it could be customers, growth rates, revenues, anything like that? Um, sure. So, uh, I think that, so it's okay. So less doing started nine years ago and I was solo for that entire time basically. And then three years ago, I sort of took a slot, like a derailment and I started a, a virtual assistant company with a, with a co-founder, which I ran successfully for, for two years. And I left that company to seven months ago or so and refocus on less doing. So in a lot of ways I, I see less doing is really being like a seven month old operation because now I have a team and everything. It's a totally different thing. So in the last seven months we've got, I want to say 250 clients, uh, most of whom are recurring and, uh, we're on track to do a million dollars in this first year. Nice. Wonderful. That, that's, that's good for, uh, what do you, I mean, seven months, that, that's pretty quick. What do you think attributed to the, you know, getting to seven figures so quickly? Uh, we move very quickly. You know, I have a, I have a really great team. Now my team, uh, is it's four people and we move, we're lean and mean and move fast on things. We've, we've created a bunch of different offerings and really honed in on what that product market fit is. Also the systems that we've created are really scalable. So with a small team, we've been able to take advantage of a lot of opportunities, which has been really good. And in addition, I just, I do a lot of content. Like I put out a lot on medium. We have the podcast, YouTube stuff, Facebook lives. Like I, I really have set things up so that I can focus on what I do best, which is creating content. Right. That's, that's wonderful. It's actually very similar vein in, in what I do. Um, and I look at when I'm looking at your stuff as an entrepreneur, putting the, the entrepreneur hat on, it's like, wow, it seems like this guy has a lot of different templates and processes that I can kind of just swipe and deploy. Are you saying I can basically pay to 99 bucks a month and go in there and then get a bunch of things that I can just basically roll over into my team and say, Hey, go do this. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very transparent with this stuff and I create processes that are really like that, that can be copied. I mean, that's the point. Okay. And at what, uh, I guess what types of companies, uh, what stage are they in when they where they come to you for kind of, uh, the consulting and the mastermind stuff? Um, so I'd say that, I mean, we're working with people who have, you know, typically the entrepreneurs that we work with have achieved six figures or more. I mean, I've worked with everything up to fortune 500 companies and the U S army, but for the most part, I would say that I, I think that the people that we're working with doing between $300,000 a year in revenue and 3 million in revenue. Great. Okay. And I guess, uh, so you mentioned you're doing a lot of content right now and that stuff takes time to manifest or is it the content flywheel, so to speak, you know, typically takes one to two years to really start to get going. I, I guess, it, are you kind of building on what you've already built before in the last, I don't know, uh, before you started the, the VA company? What? So how do you, sorry, what do you mean? So what I mean is that you are acquiring customers through content because you're, you're, you're doing a lot of content right now, right? Right. And my point is that content takes a, lot, a long time to manifest. So did you start to build your audience long ago, even before you kind of did the reboot? Yeah, sorry. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, I would say so. But again, like I, I completely shifted all that stuff while I was working on this other company. But I, I've been writing blog posts forever. I have three. I'm sorry, I should have eight books out now and work on the next one. And yeah, the content play is definitely a longer term one. But 
look for the first probably five or six years, I wasn't even doing like any opt-ins to get like, I, I didn't know any of that stuff, you know? So I don't think that it needed to take that long. Like I, I really do see it as this last seven months being this sort of reboot and it's worked really well. Right. Okay. Well, what's working for you? I mean, besides content, what else is working for you in terms of customer acquisition? Uh, we really take the customer journey very, very, very seriously. I'm kind of obsessive about it. Um, and so how we take people from being, you know, a cold, like they don't know anything about us to being a client to becoming a raving fan. And that doesn't happen by accident. You know, so I, I really focus on making sure that the, the clients that we have, the community that we've built is really engaged and happy and progressing. Uh, and so we get a lot of referrals. Great. Wonderful. How did you, I guess, learn to, where, where did you, are there any resources you, you went to, to learn how to optimize the customer journey a little better? Well, I mean, one of the best resources is actually probably uh, Joey Coleman. He's got a book called, uh, never lose a customer again. Um, and I've known him for a while. I also had this thing called the first hundred days. So that's one, but a lot of it honestly is just like trial and error, you know, and seeing what people respond to and, and being able to be agile and change as needed. Right. Okay. Makes sense. And what about, I guess, when I'm looking at uh, your, let's see, how do, you, how do you combine all the stuff that you're, you're doing together? Because you got the courses, you got the mastermind, you do the, the uh, it sounds like you do the, the offsites, things like that. Is there, do you have any kind of funnel that you send people up? I'm just wondering if you're doing anything like how Russell Brunson would do it with ClickFunnels. So it's actually funny. I, I just, so we, pretty much just got our website up and running. Uh, we were using ClickFunnels in the, in the interim. The people that work with us that not only sign up for us, but actually become really good members of our services and like the, this sort of family, uh, don't come through funnels. Like it's not cold per se. Uh, email marketing has probably worked the best for us of anything. Uh, so all, all, all that to say is we do have the sort of a value ladder. We have a very clear sort of ascension path for people as they move through things. But in terms of like actual funnels, no, we really it's it's an intentionally sort of small ish community. I know it's, I said it's 250 people, but, you know, relatively speaking, that is small. I have no desire to have thousands of customers. That's not what this business is about for me. I'd much rather have a few hundred that are super engaged and continue to, to work with us. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I want to talk about the, the you mentioned value ladder. So is it um, they come in and then, you know, they're paying the 99 bucks a month. Um, and at what point are they like, man, I really need to pay the two grand or the five grand? So the I mean, we have a conversation with them that that's usually and we get to know what's going on in their business. And then there comes a time when uh, so I do a webinar every month. And so what will typically happen is somebody might be in our academy and then they might level up to the operator course, which is $1,500. After the operator course, it kind of makes sense to come to an event or possibly consider mastermind. So it, it, those, you know, that's it. Like it's, it's that simple in some cases. Great. Okay. Uh, I, I do want to talk about the books too. So you've done a couple books. I mean, even when I just Google your name, three books pop up on the, on the right side. So Going back to the I, when I when I Google you, a couple books pop up already. I mean, how many books have you written? A and then also B. It sounds like, I think you told, told me eight a little earlier. But um, what have the books done for you in terms of your career, in terms of awareness? So yeah, so there's eight. Uh, we're working on the ninth one right now. The ninth book is going to be called The Replaceable Founder. 
and so only one of those books was published by actually I'm sorry that's not true two of those books were published by major publishing houses and that was a good experience in terms of like credibility but not in terms of marketing or sales which I think is a fairly common experience the one the books that I've self-published have done way more for us so at the very least you know it, it, it definitely I think still provides a lot of credibility to what I do and uh, you know, see them out at events. Anybody who joins one of our programs gets one of those books. It just adds something more concrete, I would say. Uh, plus, we so if people join a couple of our programs, they get like ten books, and people give them out to you know people they want to help. So it's it's been a really good calling card, and it really it really tells people what I do and how I do it. I've heard from authors where they, they say, Eric, you know, when you when you write a book, it almost becomes a new business card where you hand it out instead of your business card. Do you think that's true? Oh, yeah, totally. I don't I don't have business cards. So, yes. OK. And if you could go back in time, I mean, would you would you would you ever do the um, go through major publishers again or would you just strictly self-publish? Oh, totally. Strict. I mean, I don't have any desire to go through a publisher again. That's interesting because right now, I mean, I'm in the progress, of, the process of, of of doing a book, and we're in the process of negotiating a deal with a with a major publisher. And I'm almost, you know, part of me is like, man, should I just self-publish it? And you know, what is the the publisher going to do for me ultimately? Right? It sounds like they're going to have a lot of control. Can you walk us through kind of some of the the pitfalls of going with a major publisher? Yeah. Uh, so one is that you have very little control over the marketing of the book, right? So like. For example, my first book that was published with Random House, which is Random House Penguin, which is now, you know, it's the largest publisher in the world, was, I, I mean, the cheapest that I can buy my own book from them, I think is like $11, which makes it really hard to do any kind of marketing with it. Whereas with my, the, the Art of Less Doing, which I self-published, I can get that book for $2.73, which means I actually, you know, I have a lot more room to give it away, to do promos with it and whatnot. So it's like, that alone is really important. The next thing is that they there's a lot of restrictions put on like how you can market and sell it yourself. They want it to go through certain channels. Uh, if you want to get like an audio book done or something like that, it has to go through them. So it, it, the control is a big part of it. If you're going to be going, if you think you're going to be going for like a New York Times bestseller, which is an, like a job in itself, then yeah, it's probably helpful to go through a major publisher, but it's also not necessary. Right. Some people will self-publish a book and then they'll just sell it, you know, through their own click funnels. It's not even available on Amazon. A good example of that is uh, Wake Up Warrior. They have a hundred-dollar book, you know, called the Black Book that you can't buy anywhere but through their funnel. So, right. So, what is it? I mean, can you can you walk us through the the, the performance difference in in self-publishing versus going through a major publisher? Uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing with that too was it, it, I think it was a year and a half. I had a finished manuscript when I got picked up by my publisher, and it took a year and a half for the book to come out, whereas self-publishing was like four months. And you know, I was able to do a thunderclap campaign for the first two weeks and become you know Amazon like number seven bestseller for the day and all that kind of stuff. So uh, performance-wise, I think that's the self-publishing ones have run much much better for me. However, you know, it's it's hard to say that. And not recognize the fact that I do have a book published by a major publisher. So I think that for one book, yeah, it was really nice to have that. It's nice to refer that. But the truth is, is that most people don't know and don't care. Right. Okay. Uh, can, you, can you tell us uh, what Thunderclap is again? So, well, Thunderclap was something where you could basically get all sorts of people to sign up with their Twitter or Facebook. And then on one at one time, it would release a message on all of those people's 
uh, accounts. So like I, I did, you know, get the less doing book for 99 cents today. And it went on, on, you know, 50 different people's Twitters and Facebooks at the very same time, including, I was very fortunate, but including some people like Damon John and a couple of people. So it had like a 15 million person reach all at one time. And you know, it, it worked, but now that does, you can't do that anymore with Thunderclap. There's, there's a service called Nouncy that does a similar thing. Nouncy. Okay, great. How did you go about getting Damon John? I've, I've worked with him. I mean, I'm, oh, got it. Makes yeah. sense. Cool. So, um, all right. Yeah. On the other side of things, I'm just kind of looking, I'm still kind of looking through your, looking through all the books that you have. I do want to talk about your books, but I think we're running out of time here. So, uh, what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that, that has added a lot of value to your life? So it could be like a Peloton bike or it could be like an app like Evernote. Intercom.io by far is one of the greatest tools I think there is. And it's something that I recommend with a lot of companies. It's essentially a shared inbox that allows you to communicate through various different channels like Facebook, text message, email, live chat on your website. And your te- you, it basically turns email and communication into a team sport. Oh, that's so interesting. So you, you use it for collaboration with your team for like support, help, uh, messaging. Yeah, sales too. I mean, it, I, I think it provides 95% of the functionality that most people look for in a CRM. That's interesting. I literally just had the um, the CEO of Front, um, which is another collab- collaboration tool, um, a second ago, and we were just talking about collaboration, so it's ironic. Well, so I use Front, but I switched to Intercom. Oh, that's so good because Front actually integrates with Intercom. So I guess you use Intercom to replace Front. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Cool. What is one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Can't be one of yours. Yeah, I know. Of course not. Um, so... <laughs> Barking Up the Wrong Tree by Eric Barker. Cool. And what one, what's that one about? Uh, so Eric basically just reads studies all day long and then summarizes them. Um, and it's like it's just the best like five takeaways from all these amazing studies about productivity, about success, about fear. Like it's just great. And it's uh, it's one of those things like a shortcut to psychology. Wonderful. We'll drop that into the show notes. But um, yeah, I mean, this is short and sweet. Ari, what's the best way for people to find you online? Everything is at lessdoing.com. And uh, you can find me on social media as at Ari Mizell for most platforms. Great. Yeah. Make sure you go check it out. I mean, the templates sound like they're golden. I'm going to have my team take a look at it. Ari, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.